0: you are receiving this transmission, you are Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker on the 4th Watch
1: Radio Network. Network. Network.
0: Welcome to Episode 9 of Reclaiming the Faith a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us. Today, I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey everybody, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. In episode 9, I'm going to be joined by one of my best friends, Adam Hawks, to have a discussion about evangelism, discipleship, and our calling as Christians to imitate Jesus Christ. Adam has been serving in student ministry for a long time, and he has a master's in youth ministry from Asbury Theological Seminary. And if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take some time to leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's 4th Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called uh, Ready With an Answer. And in addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at the 4th Watch Radio Network website or on the 4th Watch Radio Network podcast. And finally, in 2016, I wrote a book Called New Wine Skins and the Simple Words of Christ. And if you'd like to get a copy of it, you can purchase it on Amazon. And again, if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there on Amazon. It really helped me. All right. So I'm super pumped for this interview. So let's get to it right now. All right. I'm here with my good buddy, Adam Hawks. Adam, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Hey,
2: it's good to be here, Phil. Thanks yeah, for me.
0: man. Thank you so much. So um, why don't you share a bit of your testimony
2: uh, and how you got into ministry? Sure. Um, well, I was brought up in the church, grew up in the church. Uh, my parents took me every day from the time, you know, I was born pretty much. I don't think there were as many rules back in the day in terms of, you know, how, how long you had to wait before you got out of the house. But I um, loved church. That was, that was my family. That was my home. Um, of course, things weren't perfect growing up, but I knew I wanted to be in ministry by by the time I was eight. Uh, It was something I wanted to do. Most boys want to be a fireman or, you know, a professional athlete. I knew that wasn't going to happen, so um, I really wanted to be in ministry. Um, When I was eight specifically, my parents separated. There were a lot of difficult things going on there, Um, and uh, after church, we would run outside and play um, until our, our parents would come and tell us it was time to go home. But uh, when my father left, we still went to church with my mother um, and we would run outside and play. And, and I had this kind of sense about me that we were playing a little too long, that we should have been going home um, by this time. And so I wanted to know what was going on. I went back in the church and I found my mother in the sanctuary uh, surrounded by the church. Everybody stayed late um, and laid hands on her and prayed over my my mom and over my parents' marriage. And uh, they got back together, and here next week, two weeks, I get to go home and uh, celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary, which is pretty cool. Um, wow. But in that moment, going back in that church, I felt like the Spirit kind of mentioned to me, you know, or nudged me and said, This is what my church is all about. Um, and from that time on, I had this desire to understand what the church was about and to be a part of that. Um, of course, you know, I went through the teenage years and, and strayed i frustrated with with the students in my student ministry growing up, thinking they were ingenuine when, you know, whenever you point the finger at other people, there's probably things going on in your own life. And I know there were things going on in my life. Um, I went to college, didn't know anybody, didn't go to church for a couple months, and I was in a calculus class my freshman year, and I was failing it miserably. There was a kid sitting beside me, and I told him a dirty joke, actually, and I thought it was really funny. I, thank God I don't remember <laughs> what that joke was. By his grace, I don't remember it. Um, but he didn't laugh at my joke, and he invited me to church. <laughs> and nice. uh, I was too embarrassed to say no. So I went to church with him, and uh, that church ended up being the church that I interned with for four years, uh, my junior senior year in college at, at Kentucky. And then um, they also paid my way through seminary. Um, at Asbury Theological uh, the next two years. So I was with him four years, and it, it was neat how that all worked out. So I'm still learning, still growing, uh, still learning about that that guy that points fingers at other people. But I'm thankful for what God's called me to. It's a blessing every day, and uh, just hoping to, to, to be a witness as God continues to grow me to maturity in my faith. Man, that's awesome.
0: So um, we're talking a little bit about Identity and evangelism and discipleship today. Mm-hmm. And we've been having some talk, uh, some conversation about this. And so, how do you feel like the issue of identity influences a Christian's approach toward evangelism?
2: Well, specifically in student ministry, but also across the board in church, um, if you don't know who you are, you can't share it. Uh, and students are are constantly wrestling with, with who they are and they're searching for, for identity everywhere, whether it be in sports, the friendships they have, um, whether they're funny or not, whether they're good-looking, whether they can sing, whether they can dance, whatever that is, what car they drive, how much money their parents make, they're looking for identity and they're trying to find it. And whatever, whatever identity they find, they share. Uh, and they, they post it on social media, wherever it is, they share it. Um, so if you don't know who you are, in essence you you can 't share it um, so there 's this this process of of understanding well well, who is it that I am, and how can I share that specifically when it comes to to sharing our faith and understanding our identity in christ um, there's there 's a pressure a lot of times on students to go out and evangelize to go out and share, and we make we make it a formula almost you know well here you 've got to memorize the Roman road, memorize these these scriptures. Um, and go out and share these scriptures, um, with people so that they can be a Christian. Um, when really, if this is who you are, it's not necessarily something that needs a formula. There's a place for formula. I'm not saying you can't use one, but if I'm just going out and I'm being who I am in the world, whether I'm at school, at work, wherever I am, then, then I'm going to have opportunities to, to share my faith with word as well as with action. Um, so sometimes I think we make this evangelism thing more complicated um, than it needs to be. Whereas if we, we spent time understanding who Christ calls us, what his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection means for us, and, and, and how that defines us, then going out and sharing that with others isn't, isn't quite as difficult, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, man, yeah. So like, you're wearing a Cleveland hat. Yeah. Because you emanate... All things Ohio. <laughs> Except right? for the
2: University of Kentucky, of course. No, you know. Yeah, so you're you are right.
0: coming in talking about Ohio State. Yeah. Because that's part of you. That's part of your identity. Sure. So you can't help but kind of talk about like Ohio State's victory today. Right. Because it's just naturally flowing out of who
2: you are. Yeah. And there's a weird, there's a weird pressure um, just because of the, the social issues in the world right now that students aren't allowed to share their position you know, and and not that your faith takes you to one position or the other, but um, but we're not allowed to share our faith, we're not allowed to, to write a paper that talks about God, and so they're kind of trained to steer away from these things, and I always try and steer them back toward, well, who are you, you know, are you really a believer? And there's this, there is a kind of a an advantage of, of Christians that there's this Era of of acceptance, like let's be accepting, but a lot of times students who are Christians don't feel accepted. Well, this is who you are. You are a Christian. You are someone who loves Jesus and follows Jesus. You want to know Jesus more, so just be that with your friends. You know, um, don't feel like you have to be someone else when you're with your friends. And most students understand that concept. Like, you want me to accept you for who you are. Can you accept me for who I am? I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is why, and this is why it matters to me. So really there's plenty of, of open doors to, um, to talk about what matters to us, um, the way culture is today.
0: Yeah. And sometimes we don't have to necessarily wait for those open doors. If we're just being ourselves, it just kind of, that kind of shapes the conversation a lot of times. If we're excited about things that really matter to us.
2: Absolutely. And you can kind of gauge your friendships (laughs) (laughs) based on whether or not you can talk about those things that really matter to you. Sure. Sure.
0: So, um, in some of our conversations, you've said, um, that there's a time for looking in the mirror and there's a time for looking out the window. Mm -hmm. So will you explain those metaphors, each of those metaphors and why each is crucial to our Christian walks? Like why each, like, like why, um, sorry, will you explain like why looking in the mirror is crucial and why looking out the window is crucial also for our Christian walk?
2: Sure. So, um... We do a big disciple now weekend. We call it "I Now" at our church at Sugarland, um, and uh, you know the metaphors come from looking for catchy titles. So, sure. not to not to focus too much on that, but the idea of looking in the mirror is again kind of reflecting on that identity. Um, why are you a Christian? Um, why does this this matter to you? And then the looking out the window is okay. Now that I know who I am, how can I share this? Who's out there um, that needs to hear? the reason for the hope that I have. And and just a minute ago, that, that passage really popped into my mind. Um, this idea that always be prepared first Peter three, right? Mm. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Now, when we read that, we think of, again, coming back to the formula. Now I need to, I need to come up with a plan of evangelism. I need to come up with a a way to, to, to share my faith when really, if we're preparing to share the hope that we have, isn't it just having hope? Mm -hmm. I mean, Practicing hope and understanding where our hope comes from is such a key to going out and sharing that hope. You can't you can't not have hope and then go out and share hope, yeah. right? And so, spending some time looking in the mirror, saying, "Why am I following Jesus? Why am I a Christian? What is my hope in Christ um, that I have to share?" And if you really do have that hope in Christ, then you're going to go out and you're going to share it. Um, so that that's something that's really been on my mind a lot lately with the kind of the state of i guess the the way the world is right now there's so many people who are down on the way the world is and and specifically i I just had a conversation with um some a bible study group at our church and and they wanted to hear a lot about you know the state of the youth today and being disrespectful and not caring about um the the flag or, or different things like that that are popping up in culture right now. And I just got this, this large feeling that there wasn't a hope for the future. There wasn't a hope for what, what Jesus is doing in our world, what the Spirit is doing in our world. And um, So as a follower, taking time to look in the mirror and say, do I believe that God keeps His promises? Do I believe that there's more than this? Um, and the sad truth of it is, many Christians don't practically you know, maybe in word, we believe that, oh yeah, there's, yeah, I'm going to heaven, I'm this, I'm that. But there's not a, there's not a practical belief in that, you know, we're practical atheists, more or less. And so really taking the time to reflect on that, what does, what is the promise of God and what does that mean for me going forward? And I believe for the people who, who really understand that they've let, they've let, the Holy Spirit infiltrate their hearts and change their hearts, that they genuinely have a hope. They know that what we're experiencing right now is not the end. That Jesus has the final word. That God has the final word, and they're living that out in the world. Um, and and that's just so that's just so key. So if you don't take time to understand that for yourself, you're you're not going to be able to share that with anybody else. And and it kind of becomes a uh, unintentional idea that I'm just going to. Just going to go out and and share this with people. And when I say that, I don't mean their faith. I mean, whatever it is that they feel makes them up. It just kind of happens. Like you were mentioning my Ohio state, my Cleveland Indians, my Kentucky. That's not something that I purposefully go out and share. It's just something I share. Um, So, um, but I practiced that. (laughs) I I watch a lot of Kentucky basketball and a lot of Ohio state football and Cleveland Indians baseball. And so I've practiced that hope or lack thereof sometimes. And I share that. You think about it a lot. Right. I think about it a lot. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Think
0: about what it would be like for them to win the championships. Mm -hmm. And then when it finally was a reality, I mean, it's just like overflowing. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been reading, uh, First Timothy, or sorry, First Peter, quite a lot um, over the last month or so, and identity and hope seem to be just emanating out of the first chapter of, of First Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, he calls them strangers to the strange You know, Simon Peter, to an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and he continues to have them fix their hope not on things of this world as he's calling them strangers, wherever you are, you're a stranger because, yeah. you know, your hope is not something outside of this world where you have an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and won't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who believe, you know, or who are being kept by the power of God. And um, he tells them to fix their hope completely on the grace to be brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, there's all these things where he's telling them to fix your hope on something, you know, that's coming there, that's so much more powerful, so much more real than what's here. It's almost more real, you know, in a sense, because yeah. it's going to be everlasting or this is temporary. Right. This isn't your your permanent home. You know, you're just kind of passing through. And uh, I don't know, it's, he seems to be trying to help them reframe their identity there. And uh, so that's one passage that's really been standing out to me. Um, is there a passage that's been standing out to you quite a bit? About identity, how identity kind of helps us move forward in evangelism, or how it shapes evangelism. Is there a passage in the Bible that's been standing out to you with that?
2: Yeah, I Ephesians five has stood out quite a bit. It just says basically, be imitators of God. Therefore, um, you know, we're called to imitate God. You know, in our in our identity in our evangelism, that's it, it comes back to imitating God. Basically, who is Jesus? What has he done and how do we, how do we follow and imitate him? Um, and then, you know, in, in conjunction with that, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so there's this idea of imitation um, because we understand that we're, we're God's creation, right? If we understand we're God's creation, then of course, I want to follow after my creator. I want to look like him. But there's this negative connotation on being a copy, There's a negative connotation in our world with being a copy of not being original, right? Everybody wants to be original. And that's been, I think, an issue since the world began, probably, (laughs) you know, it's not just students today that are wrestling with that. But I think, um, you know, a lot of adults, they don't want to to be the same. They don't want to be a cookie cutter um, of others. Um, But we were created to be copies. We were created to be imitators of God. And so you look at these, these folks, these, these kids specifically, but I mean, again, it translates to adults. You look like that, which you spend the most time with. And this is where <laughs> the window aspect comes in, right? Looking out the window. Yeah. So it's, it's, well, it's kind of both, you know, because you have to understand your identity and that comes from spending time with that, which you want to look like, um, if that makes sense. So if I'm hanging out with my group of friends or in my case, you know, watching Kentucky basketball, I'm spending time. With, with that, with that idea of spending time with Kentucky basketball, then I start to look like it. Um, I start to talk like it. I know all the players' names. I know their stats. I know, uh, I know our tendencies against certain teams. So if I'm, if I'm spending that much time with Jesus, I'm going to start to look like him, right? And so you see this group of friends and they're walking around throughout school. They look exactly alike. They dress exactly the same. They all want to be originals, but they're not. You know, they look exactly like the people they spend the most time with and they go out and they share that essentially with the world. And so there's a negative connotation to being a copy, but we're created to be a copy. And the way it happens is, is we become like the person or the thing that we spend the most time with. Um, and so that's a big part of how we, how we get our identity. We, we choose it in a sense by how we spend our time and who we spend our time with, um, and then we emanate it or we we share it by um just being in the world. Um so that's that's kind of what happens in this is this difference of identity and evangelism is is you spend time with and then other people are called to be a copy of of you, I mean more more accurately of Jesus, but if I'm following Jesus that closely, then they're going to get Jesus through me to a degree. By the way I live, by the way um by the way um, our relationship is working if that makes sense. Yeah. Feel free to interact because I'm kind of <laughs> No, that's mumbling. great.
0: That's great, dude. You know, that that's like um, the call to be imitators aspect. It, it really is making me think about 1 Peter 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter writes this, For you have been called for this purpose. This is your purpose, right? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while... Being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on, his, on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That's First Peter 2, verse 21 through 25. We've been called for this purpose. To follow christ's example and it's tough and that's like gonna be it's gonna entail like some suffering some hardship mm-hmm. but like because christ suffered for us he was able to be glorified and that's what peter hits on quite a bit in first peter or chapter yeah first peter chapter one like and that's looking forward to something greater that's coming and we don't always know who's watching us But if we can keep that in in mind, like there's going to be something great. If I can can deny myself and really follow Christ, even though that may not feel very good right now, it's going to produce something great for the people that are coming after me. And I need to be thinking about that uh, very intentionally in in my mind right now. And I'm not just serving myself, but I'm Mm. serving the people that are coming after me.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and because they're looking through the window too, you know, it's not just me. You have any thoughts about that?
2: No, I mean I think it's I think it's right on. I mean there's there's way too much um short-sightedness, I guess in our faith and in our lives that we don't see how how um our actions affect others. You know, we we see for the um um the quick returns, you know, the instant gratification um and we don't see how our actions, how our our lives kind of impact those coming before us because like you said earlier, there's always someone watching. Uh, recently I'm selling a lot of pumpkins in a pumpkin patch to raise, uh, funds for missions of our church. And I've worked in the patch twice with, uh, the with little boy is about eight years old. Um, and it's just been really neat spending time with them, you know, and, and the patch hasn't been super busy when we've been there and I've been able to show them how to do a lot of different things. And we've practiced math and we've, you know, and I haven't like sat down and preached anything to him, but, um, when this kid sees me, he's going to associate, that with, with someone who cares about him and someone who took the time for him. Um, and so it's, it's open doors and, and hopefully that those actions have, have, you know, gone on and encouraged him in some way, shape or form. But
0: yeah, definitely. So like, how, how have you seen the, the looking in the mirror aspect and the looking at the window aspect be true in your own life?
2: Well, it's, um, you get plenty of examples when you're in ministry. I think. Well, give me, give me just one or, or two for each. <laughs> um, just one for each. Okay. Well, I think when I'm, it's it's really easy to get caught in kind of a, a mentality of not having taking care of my faith. Uh, with Christ, you know, I'm so busy doing different things. I'm in the word almost every day, you know, for the sake of, of teaching or, or doing something else, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily living it out, you know. I'm, I'm looking through God's word for what do you want me to speak to someone else? And when that's the case, you see the impact on the ministry. You see the impact on the students and families I'm supposed to be serving. Um, they're not getting what they, what they need, um, From me, they're not getting what they need out of out of our ministry. Um, and I'm not saying that it's it's up to me for them to have a a good faith or you know, obviously there's there's a lot more to it. But um basically I just hired two people a little over a year ago. Um, they're associate directors of student ministry, they're young, um, Evan and Jody, they're great. Um when I wrote their job description, I put That, you know, basic things like personal Bible study time, personal prayer, um, you know, participation in a small group, um, attendance at church. And then the last one was probably the only one that is unique, but at least once every two months they have to have a personal retreat day. So that entire work day they need to go off and just listen to the Lord, um, rest in the Lord, have Sabbath more or less. Um, And the reason for that is I feel like people go and they hire talent a lot. And believe me, Evan and Jody have a lot of talent. But what mattered most to me was that mirror time. You know, um, I want them to have a real vibrant faith because i believe that's what's going to rub off on our students more than their extent, you know, their their personality and their jokes and their um you know, their ability to do stupid games or whatever it might be that people look for in youth ministers. I wanted our students to see in them a genuine faith. Um and so obviously as as their quote-unquote leader, you know, i need to be reflecting that too. And the times when i'm not, it's very obvious if that makes sense. So my ability to see out the window is I don't know maybe the window's foggy or something if i'm not if I'm not looking in the mirror and seeing seeing what God's doing in my heart or in my life, who He's called me to be um then I'm not gonna go be that, and I can't even see it a lot of times um but the times when I've been really focused and and asking the Lord to change my heart and to work on me um then I'm bold going out because I'm confident in what He's called me to. And I believe, and I have hope in what He's doing in this world, and so it's so easy to go and and be genuine with students and with families. That's awesome. Um, so I read this book
0: uh, by Irwin McManus, and I can't even remember the name of it right now, but it was something cool. I promise you, it, that. it was. He has it some was cool titles. It was something cool. Um, but one of the things it was talking about was integrity. Mm. It was talking about how integrity produces courage, Mm. right? Like this boldness. Yeah. Right. And you, you were talking about like, you wanted to hire people that had like this true faith. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's something that you really looked for. And so there's this, like my, I'd spent a lot of time reading the early Christian writings and I've got, I've got this hero. My hero from the early Christians is a guy named Cyprian. He read the, the story of the uh, rich young ruler. And he was like, well, I'm gonna go do that. And he sold everything, he was a rich guy and he sold everything he had. Wow. And he gave it to the poor people in the church in Carthage. And he eventually became like a bishop there in Carthage and was hunted down by the Romans and martyred. Like, jeez, legit dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> legit guy. So uh, he writes, he, he writes uh, this about having integrity, basically, as a Christian, and what it looks like to really imitate Jesus, okay? So he says, John stimulates us and exhorts us, witnessing with a spiritual and heavenly voice. He says, and is quoting 1 John 2, he says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, which is not from the father, but is of the lust of the world and the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever, even as God also abides forever. Therefore, eternal and divine things are to be followed and all things must be done after the will of God. That we may follow the divine footsteps in the teaching of our Lord, who warned us and said, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. But if the servant is not greater than his Lord, and he that is freed owes obedience to his deliverer, then we who desire to be Christians ought to imitate what Christ said and did. It is written, He that says he abides in Christ ought to walk even as he walked. Therefore, we must walk with equal steps, and we must strive with an emulous walk. And then, following of truth answers to the faith of our name. Sorry, then, the following of the truth answers to the faith of our name, and a, and a reward is given to the believer. If what is believed is also done. So basically, Cyprian says we can only truly have integrity as Christians if we live like Jesus did, mm-hmm. if we follow his example, basically, if we actually be who we are. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just a powerful quote that I was reading from him. Do you have any thoughts about that as you were hearing it?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think. I was talking about evangelism being made complicated, but I think our faith in general is complicated. You know, we think it has to look this way or that way or this way, um, and I'm always I'm always taken back by the fact that it's just follow Jesus. I mean, it really is follow Jesus, and a lot more of it's going to make sense. We start asking questions like, apparently, the folks were asking in Matthew five on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, well, are we allowed to do this? Well, you've heard of that it was said. You know, but I say to you, and and I think so frequently that's what we're asking is, well, can I do this or can't I, you know, do I have to do it this way or do I have to do it this way? It's like, look at Jesus, follow Jesus. And it's going to make so much more sense, you know, and and again, then you're going to walk in boldness as a result of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When we're being who we are. Yeah. Consistently, there's so much, there's so much more
2: confidence Mm-hmm. and there's a humility that mm-hmm. comes from it you know it's kind of it's kind of funny because there's i don 't know you wouldn 't think of that as humility, but when you 're really following Jesus, you see how you 're not like him in a lot of ways, you know, and you can understand that it's it's by his grace um, that you're able to live as you live and to share um, with others the grace that you 've been given um, you know because you 've been given so much, you can give so much yeah um, well adam, this has been just an incredible conversation.
0: Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to do this with me. I, I want to give you the last word, you know, so okay. if there's anything that's been on your mind um, that you want to share with the, the
2: folks, you know, whatever time you want to take, go for right. it, buddy. Yeah, so, um, you know, hope has been on my mind a lot since Friday. I have a, a Bible study. I guess that was yesterday. Well, uh, Friday morning, I'm in a Bible study, and we're going through Jeremiah right now, and, um, we came across a passage, Jeremiah 32, uh, and what's happening is Jeremiah is in prison, right? And, uh, he was put there by the king who didn't like what he was prophesying, didn't like that. He was saying that there would be destruction, uh, to the kingdom and that they'd be carried off by Babylon. Um, and so he's in prison and, and the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him to buy a field in Judea, Right he buys a field and he's in prison and people come to like, I don't know, I pictured people kneeling on the ground and handing, you know, the papers through the window for him to sign. Um, But he buys a field and he has the deed and it's signed. And it seems like such a futile thing to do, right? I mean, you're prophesying that Babylon, who's camping right outside the city right now, about to destroy it. um, And you invest in it. Well, you know, the old covenant has to do with this promised land, and this was it. They were in it, and and so Jeremiah is prophesying that it's going to be destroyed. But then he goes and buys it, and God tells him to. And what we get out of that is that there's hope, right? There's hope. God might be allowing this to happen to to Israel, to Judea, for for the time being, for His people. But it's not going to end there. God is victorious, and His people will once again inherit this land, this promised land. And I, what I love about it is he takes the deed and he puts it in a, 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 a clay jar. I almost said a jar clay, but a clay jar. <laughs> like the band. Yeah, like jars of clay, the band, <laughs> which is so so much cooler of a band name now that I know this. But he puts it in a, a clay jar, and then the note on, the, on my Bible says that that's where the um, Dead Sea Scrolls were found, in clay jars, and they were... Preserved for more than 2,000 years in these clay jars. There was something about these clay jars that preserved this document. And so that tells us that, well, when is this gonna happen? Uh, I don't know, it could happen in a long time. We don't know what we're gonna experience in the meantime. We know that Babylon's here, we know there's destruction on our doorstep, but there's this promise of God's faithfulness that we can cling to as a people. And then of course, for us in the New Testament, um, it's 1 Corinthians 4, or Second Corinthians four seven, I believe, that says we have this hope in in jars of clay. Yeah, you know, and so there's this hope that we've been given, and it's well preserved for us in Christ Jesus. And you know, the passage goes on to say about being perplexed, you know, about being crushed on every side but not destroyed, and and so we can understand that with with where we're at right now, um, but that we have this hope. That's preserved for us. That Christ isn't hasn't failed us, and He won't fail us. Um, you know, and so I feel like that was kind of the underlying idea behind this desire to understand identity, because that's our identity. Um, we trust in in what Christ is doing, and in understanding that hope, relying on that hope that we have in Him. That's preserved for us in Christ. Um, we can move forward, and and trust that that whatever's happening in this world right now isn't isn't the last word, um, but that Christ has victory. And we're heirs to that. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah, will you, will you pray for us? I'd love to. All right, thanks. Let's God. pray. God, we trust you. We love you. Um, we know that um, we are mere men, um, but that has a, a high calling um, that you've called your sons and your daughters to be followers of you and that you've given us um, what we need to be able to do that. You've given us your spirit, which empowers us Um, to live like Jesus, Um, I pray that we'll be able to to throw off the distractions, whatever is hindering us, um, and and follow after Jesus because it just means so much to those around us to be able to see um, what Christ is doing in our lives and the hope that we have in this world. I pray that you'll make us imitators of God um, so that we can, with boldness and with courage, say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus, like Paul said. Um, because we know that you're doing a good work in us and people need to see um, your action in in the lives of your people. So we trust you to do this, Lord. Um, we know that we need you and that it's by your grace that we're saved. Um, we pray that you restore your creation um, as you've promised. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Amen.
1: So hard to do what you want me to. A cross isn't cushioned, soft or smooth. A scalpel, a sword, they both make wounds. But like surgeons and soldiers, they differ too. Give me hands that heal words they build and not tear down but even still not shy away from your discipline cause how i feel has a history of deceiving me my wants or not Plank for you, pull the speck But specks grow to planks When they're left unchecked So let no bitter root grow When you or me No lust or hatred Or pride or greed Give me hands that heal, Words that build And not tear down But still not shy away from your discipline cause how i feel has a history of deceiving me my want to not always what i need for themselves and the boys they hug. Love blesses but sets boundaries. Love's more than we make it out to be. Give me hands that heal, words that build and not tear down. But even still, not shy away from your discipline. how I feel has a history of deceiving me My wants are not